0: Hello, and welcome to Cultural Conversations with the International Hub. We are committed to helping you navigate global business. Throughout this series, we will have conversations with global business professionals and experts. Today, we'll be talking with Kip Twitchell. Kip is a global subject matter expert with IBM Global Business Services. The author of two books, Balancing Act, A Practical Approach to Business Event-Based Insights, and Metric Engine, Reinventing the data supply chains for business. He also maintains a video blog on FinTech called Conversations with Kip.
1: Kip, this is Autumn. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Um just where you're from, where you got your education, where you're living now and what you're working on?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I um I graduated from uh from BYU with my degree in accounting, masters, Mac. Uh, with my emphasis in information systems consulting, and uh, I went um, first to work for Price Waterhouse at the time, which became Price Waterhouse Coopers. I did audit for two-and-a-half years in Salt Lake City, and then I transferred into the consulting division, and um, I've never changed companies. Uh, the names have changed a couple of times on me, but I've never changed jobs really. Uh, since graduating from college, I... I do Pricewaterhouse, Cooper's consulting division was bought by IBM. And so I've now been in IBM since 2002. Uh, like my former boss used to say as a consultant, uh, I work mostly in America, uh, but in the last few years, I've uh, I've, <laughs> I've worked pretty much globally. So I get on planes every week. I never go into the office. If I'm in the office, then there's something wrong. I should be uh, at a customer's side. <laughs>
1: So what what type of business, um, you're doing consulting, you said, and which nations are you working in primarily, and what type of consulting are you doing?
2: So I do, I've ended up doing uh, mostly financial systems consulting, um, and mostly that's ended up in financial services. Financial services are banking, insurance, uh, trading. Uh and when I have to describe this to somebody who doesn't understand what a consultant does, I say, well, a bank will typically only replace their financial system maybe once every thirty years. And wow. so for them to for them to retain a staff member that would know how to go do that work would be very expensive for them because the staff member might do it once in their career. So I go from bank to bank to bank helping them replace their financial systems because that's less expensive than than hiring and training up staff to do it themselves.
1: Right, for sure. So as you're going into these countries, is there anything you do to prepare when you're visiting a country you haven't been before?
2: Yeah, the first thing you have to do is you have to make sure you can legally enter the country.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, step one, make sure you don't get a
2: Yes, it's not always very clear how to make sure of that. Fortunately, my company does a lot of international business, and so they have uh, a lot of procedures in place. There are companies you can hire, though, that uh, tell you, but you have to go uh, often get visa permits. um, And so showing up the first time sometimes is a multi-week, even multi-month effort to be able to get uh, permission to Get into a country you need sponsorship sometimes letters from people working in that country that say you're invited that make commitments so that you won't get stuck there and and that they won't have to take care of you. <laughs> um, you sometimes have to get vaccinations for some places you have to go um so those are those are you know the hard and fast things that you have to do every place you go pretty much to be honest with you.
0: So, when you go to some of these different countries, beyond just the preparations, um, come at a time that you've experienced culture shock.
2: Well, so when you when you fly many places, you'll end up on a flight for multiple hours. Um, and so, you land someplace and you're not quite um, – you're not thinking you're sharpest because you're typically sitting up in a seat uh, if you think you're going to fly – first class and have some nice um, dreamy place. Uh, that's not business world for most people, to be honest with you. So I ended up in India my first time there after I think I flew from Australia, but it was still a 10-hour flight or something like that, so I'm quite groggy. And I had to get some cash um, and went to the ATM and had no idea what the exchange rate was. I hadn't thought to look that up. So you know you're standing in an ATM that says how many rupees do you want, and you have no idea whether you get five rupees or five thousand rupees. So you punch in some number, and then you have to go negotiate with a taxi driver who doesn't speak much English, and you have no idea. You know you know you're looked at as, a, as a rich businessman. You have no idea what prices are for for anything to get to your first place. So that can be that can be a little bit challenging. <laughs>
1: For sure. You've been to India, it sounds like, and obviously you said just Australia. What other countries have you been part of?
2: So I've done work in Mexico, in Brazil, in Canada, in Switzerland, in um, the Netherlands, in quite a bit in the UK, um, in Japan, China, in Hong Kong specifically. Those would all be places I've done work.
1: Yeah. So you have a really wide breadth of experience. Would you um would you can you think of a time when one of being in one of those countries you kind of realized, oh, we do things kind of funny in America, kind of a reverse cultural shock kind of experience.
2: Yeah, one thing that that I have become more attuned to over the time is that in um in quite often we in America we we have a we've built up a lot of systems for efficiencies and in a lot of places in the world they don't they don't think in the complex terms that we think about um because you know when you when you have to do a problem it, it usually you don't have four or five other people on your team to work with you on that it's often much more like you yourself. What can you do yourself to solve a problem is an effective way of thinking. So, I've become attuned to trying to make solutions to things more simple and not quite as complex as we often think about in the U.S.
1: Just because there's less uh, human infrastructure to help help things along.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're you're, you're starting quite often in places you're starting much more basic in terms of the resource the time you have available, the money you can spend, the kinds of services you can buy, the other kind of educated people you can hire. All of those things are much more simplistic in many places in the world, right? Yeah, of
1: course. Um,
2: kind of just following up on communication, have you
0: ever had a miscommunication arise because of cultural differences while you've been
2: working? well i don't speak um many of the languages (laughs) in places that i've 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 gone um but more than than just that most of the people speak english that when i go to work there they find people for me to work with their english it's not worth them not worth their money to have me come if they can't communicate with me and that restricts the type of people that you're able to work with right there is another type of resource that makes a constraint in that company as to who they can even have work with you, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, in for example, um, in, in many places the nuance and the way you say things is important. Um, you know, the, the politeness Is, uh, is, is important. Um, sensing someone's feelings. I've, I've learned when I have a sense someone is feeling a particular way to follow that more closely than I might have earlier because it communicate often helps you sense what's, what's important to them in their language. For example, one country I was in, I learned that disagreeing to a senior, a person, your boss or something of that sort, is just not done. (laughs) Even if they're wrong, you just don't disagree publicly. You you have to agree within the public setting, and then you have to find another way to go communicate more quietly uh, what, what the correct information should be, and not doing that can end up that you diminish your influence and your ability to work in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, as a consultant, how do you then manage that? Well, you, what you want to do is you, you need to build relationships of trust, right? You have to you, – the, you the person that you're assigned to work with, you need to be trustworthy that they trust you. That they know that that you have their back and their best interest at heart that you are going to help them and not get them in trouble and and through that they become advisors to you, they coach you, and you have to listen to them, and you have to ask them you have to be very humble you you have to be okay i'm I'm a babe in the woods here you know, help me <laughs> through this meeting and and help me even though i I have a lot of experience on things. I have to follow their lead in many ways in order to get things done in another country.
1: Right. So probably you are in these countries, I would expect, for limited periods of time. And obviously those relationships of trust are crucial. Have you learned some ways to to quickly build those relationships to, to be able to really kind of maximize your time, maximize your impact? Um, And I assume that the the things you do would vary from culture to culture as well. Can you give us some examples of that?
2: Well, if you are in a Latin American country, um, a meal, well, actually, this is true almost everywhere, a meal together, eating the local food uh, really helps them to feel like they're sharing with you and that you appreciate them. Being a picky eater is really not a very good idea if you're going to do this kind of work because if you're a picky eater it comes off as if you don't like the culture so you know that's just one simple way of 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 expressing appreciation for them and interest in them and what they love and what they do so quite often you you find ways to to share a meal together you try you take their suggestions as to what you should try Sometimes it gets silly. For example, in Hong Kong, when I go, the locals love to order chicken feet, mm-hmm. which they, they just – it's just a bunch of – you're spitting out a whole bunch of little tiny bones. It's really kind of silly. Um, <laughs> there's there's not really any flavor to them. But when they, you know, okay, fine, order me chicken feet. I'll spit out all the bones. You, you can laugh at me eating chicken feet. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I'm i okay with, with undergoing this with little that. ritual for you.
1: So how do, how do the – I think you're going to be a great person to kind of give some insight into this too. As you're building those relationships of trust, obviously um, the body language and the kind of the cultural, um, physical contact that we have, whether it's handshakes or body language or seating arrangements, all of those have different nuances in different cultures as well. Um, is there anything you do to kind of be sensitized to that before you get there? How does that work? Yeah, and
2: and and doing and doing some research beforehand can give you a sense. For example, I had to fly one time from from Brazil to Japan, and uh, if you're in Latin America, you it's um, it's polite to uh, kiss people a, a woman on the of the opposite gender on the cheek when you greet them in the morning or when you leave them. It's just a, a nice, affectionate thing to do, uh, and it's not—you know—it's the, the Bible speaks of greeting each other with a with a kiss. I mean, it's it's, it's a very nice thing to do. So yeah. you take up that you take up that um, that tradition, and and you greet people in the way they greet each other. But then when you right. fly to Japan and you finish the meal with uh, with your Japanese counterparts, and you're about to go back to the hotel, and you you know go around the room and you come to the, the woman at the meeting and you you about bend down to give her a kiss. You realize, no, wait a minute. This is Japan. We don't kiss people <laughs> on the cheeks in Japan. She she would not like that. Um, so, you know, you, you do have to become sensitive. And study just some study. There's some, some easy study things and watching other people's behavior can help you in that way.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. For
0: sure. Um, so kind of shifting gears here. Um,
1: Obviously, you have
0: this wealth of experience in managing projects from people with different cultures and, and in different countries. Can you kind of compare and contrast what it's like in uh, different countries you've recently worked in, how, how different managing styles do you take?
2: Yeah, and and I mean, I I often ask for a story. I'll I, I, I'll ask if somebody is, has spent time in America. Often, people that speak English have spent time. In the U.S. so they know a little bit of the U.S. culture. Sometimes I'll ask them for a story that helps me understand the local culture. Um, And these are a bit personal, so I don't think I'll share with you the the specific culture, um, but it helps me at times. For example, I asked one individual, can you explain this culture to me? What, What happens here? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, to understand this culture, you really need to understand that the indigenous people here 500 years ago, um, basically were overrun by the conquerors. And in a certain sense, they became slaves. And you still have remnants of that mentality today. And a light went on in my head. I could understand, oh, so what I see here, the, the, the low-level staff will all say yes. To everything. They won't counteract anything in front of the leadership of the company. And yet, at the end of the day, the staff do exactly what they want to do. They, if the, if the, if the leader is out of the room or doesn't show up for the day, it's all about their relationship with the other person that determines what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that helped explain that to me. Another country, I watched it similarly, and I you know I, I was giving a, I was teaching them a number of the principles, and I' start with this framework for how you understand these financial systems and I noticed that all the staff were were glassy eyed. they didn't have any interest in, in this conceptual framework that I was explaining, but as I would get low enough in the discussion more detailed, then the questions would start. And they would just pepper me with very detailed questions. And they had, uh, it was just went on and on. It would go on forever. And I realized in that country, their writing system was an extremely complex writing system. And the first thing that they learned in school was how to write, and there was no conceptual framework for them in writing. They had to memorize 10,000 things in order to write. So for those people, they don't they don't need conceptual framework. They 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 just memorize and and when they're given an assignment, they don't feel like they need to understand the why. They just have to know their assignment. So don't waste your time on conceptual frameworks because they don't care about them. <laughs> you just answer their questions and help them understand the facts that they have to understand. Mm-hmm.
1: That's fascinating. I think that's really a significant um point to pull out there is that you have got to adapt your training and your interaction to the way um, your clients are expecting to receive information then. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one thing you hit on is uh, the dynamic between the uh, manager and kind of the managee. Would you explain how that dynamic looks in different countries that you've uh, worked in?
2: Yeah i mean in in some countries um, in some countries, the manager has very formal and a whole lot of authority in particular informal settings, but those formal settings only are like you know project initiations and project termination sort of things right in between the formal manager really has they, they have such a broad spectrum of people that they're in charge of and things that they have to try to get done as a manager, but the staff, really, it's all about personal relationships and and how they feel about the other members of the team and how they feel about the objective of the project and and how they feel that it will help them in furthering their work, right? And so... So, you know, you might be inclined when you see someone not finishing a project, a task on time to go to the manager and complain. It, it, that really won't have any lasting impact upon that person's behavior or on the project's performance. Much more effective is to go to the person that was, should have done the task and increase your interaction with them to build a better personal relationship with them. That that will have a much longer-lasting and and quicker impact than any other route you might you might go after that. Um, in some situations, I've noticed a, a lot of privacy. That in in one country, I was in the you know I was anxious to get started because I would be there only for a couple of days, and the manager was insistent that we were going to have a two-hour breakfast whether I wanted a two-hour breakfast in the morning or not because he wanted to understand me and know me personally before he would open up and divulge anything to me. He he wanted to know he could trust me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: that was a, a different kind of interaction. I don't know if that answers your question.
1: I actually like that. I think it's the first story, it seems like you were suggesting that accountability in the team is not built through authority necessarily, the accountability is built by people's loyalty to each other and yes. to the the projects. I think that's really insightful. Really significant. Um is that is that broadly true as you travel or are there places where that doesn't hold and other styles are more appropriate?
2: Yeah, no, so in 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 some countries it is much more authoritarian, like the country where memorization is important. That country um the, the boundaries between each individual are much more well defined and and the the tasks are very are get very detailed and very clear um so there's less of a less of a collaborative work effort because they build structure and mm-hmm. and if there's a, a lack of something getting done within a time frame in that culture it, it, the dealing with the person that missed the deadline personally probably will not be as effective because they will view their task as having been dictated by the, the manager. And so it often does require more of a managerial involvement to to find if there was a gap in some way between what was expected and what got d- done. Got it, got it.
1: Um. Do you find that you have to be careful to not compete with managers or how are you perceived by <laughs> the people you're trying to work with? I'm interested in, you know, if there's any kind of conflict, between, you know, between you and the more more authoritarian figures or if that just – it kind of works and, they, and you're accepted in at that level as well.
2: Okay. So some portion of your question is more asking around the role of a consultant in the world.
1: Fair enough. And
2: and. To be honest with you, as a consultant, I almost never in my career have had formal organizational authority. Of course, mm-hmm. because because no company can afford to give uh, somebody that's a t- on a temporary assignment formal authority.
0: Almost all of my
2: <laughs> yeah almost all of my assign almost all of my work is by influence. And, and so it's, um, here's, here's my, and some, I find some new staff and sometimes people come into projects and they think that, you know, they need a title and they need to put their name on the org chart in order to have any influence. And they're, they're wondering, how can I get more power? How can I be in charge of more people and more things? And, and often I tell them, listen, I find that almost every culture, really at the heart, is democratic in the sense that the beginning of the project, everyone sits around the table, metaphorically, and everyone gets to talk and and they say what they think about the project. And everyone around the table forms their opinion as to who knows the most about what has to be done and how it has to be done, and who's the most trustworthy and and competent. And those people. End up having more authority and more control than those that don't. And so, you know, know the subject matter and be honest and trustworthy and be intelligent about your comments and your questions and honest and things. You'll end up having more, um, more influence faster than you would ever get within a formal authority sort of thing. Most everyone, most everyone operates in the job that they're promoted to well before their promotion happens. They demonstrate they already know how to do that job before anyone gives them a formal title for that position.
1: So that competence is really what is, and competence and trust is building the influence for you.
0: Yes. While you've been working, um, Feedback is such an important thing in business um can you kind of compare and contrast how negative feedback has been given in some of the countries that you visited
2: <laughs> in some countries it's very direct <laughs> and and you have to be you have to be kind of thick skinned about that and recognize that although your culture might not do it that way that but that's the way it works there. And, and just take that, take that fairly directly. I guess another comment I would make is be careful. Be careful what you write. Things don't come off very well in writing in, in the corrective way. It, it, people cannot perceive your intent when you write very well. It lasts too long. It can be shared too broadly. You can't react to someone's tones and their and how they're taking your message. You can't clarify things. So I, I much prefer, although it's it's harder to do um, negative feedback in person. It's much more effective to do, and it's, it it requires more courage to do it. And ultimately, it, it ends up being better overall.
0: I think
1: that's
0: really insightful. Now we kind of want to shift gears, um, recognizing that you are an expert in uh, in FinTech. Um, how do you think that improvements in FinTech will impact uh, just the dynamic of cross-cultural
2: relationships? Um, I don't know that I've given that thought much. I haven't given that question much thought, really. I mean – my view of FinTech overall is that there's greater efficiencies to be gained in um, than our systems have today. Um, our systems, in many respects, um, the basic architecture of a ledger, which is at the heart of all financial processes, every business major business process has a ledger at the bottom of them. And the ledger idea, I just... Actually, was in London a couple of weeks ago, and I went and inspected Luca Pacioli's 1494 Principles of Arithmetic book, which documents the accounting cycle at the British Library. Um, we automated what Luca Pacioli talked about almost completely. We we don't have shared, we don't share a lot of data. If we can get to the point where we share data between parties, instead of having to keep your own ledgers and someone else keep their ledgers, and then you reconcile, and if you don't reconcile, you go to court, if we could agree to share the ledger, we would gain a lot more efficiency. But to share a ledger requires that you have a level of trust. The cost for non-trust is too expensive. And so that the, it, what it will highlight is, you know, sometimes we think today that trust is under siege and there's less trust in the world. I don't find that to be true. Trust is a measure of efficiency, and the greatest efficiency comes to those that are the most trustworthy. And so – and that doesn't matter what culture it's in. You know, you're seeing – you could ask your same question about the – you could have asked 15 years ago, how will social media change – um, cross-border relationships. Well, how many, you know, how many of the students going to listen to this at BYU that went on missions foreign to foreign missions have friends on social media that are in other countries. You know, my, I've, I've lived long enough that I I only had one email address from one companion from my mission in Japan. <laughs> and I got that 15 years after my mission, because we've been writing letters to each other. All the rest of my contacts, I couldn't maintain. You the people today can maintain contacts for extended periods of time with other people in other countries. What I think is gonna happen is that social commerce is going to get added on top of social media and those relationships will extend, will be cross border very easily, but it's going to again depend upon trust. To make that happen
0: mm-hmm. so you're saying that moving forward it's going to be increasingly more important to be transparent and to really work to develop those cross border relationships
2: yeah if you if you think about it this way right imagine imagine for a minute that it, your credit score right now is a statement of trust, but it's not it's only known you know to people that willing to pay money to get a credit score, and you authorized to get a credit score on you. But, you know, an Uber driver's star rating, that's very public, or an eBay vendor rating is very public. In the future, as you develop more and more, your reputation as a person that's trustworthy will become more and more visible online in your commercial transactions. And it will be known. It won't be. It won't be limited to this tiny tr- credit score thing. It's going to be known much more broadly. Mm-hmm. So be trustworthy in your transactions today. Those things are going to start to show up more and more in social media, and follow you about what kind of person you are.
1: That's excellent advice.
0: Really excellent advice. Um, so just in closing,
1: um,
0: what advice would you give to? a business person who's planning to go to a country that they've never worked in before.
2: Well um, you better exercise because if you're going to do it very often you're going to spend a lot of time on planes and that's very tiring. Okay? It's not it's it's very hard work to overcome time zones and to um live in hotel rooms. That requires <laughs> discipline
0: it's not very glamorous
2: yeah it's not it's not very glamorous um i i think there are rewards for doing it because you get to see and experience things that are beyond what you see and experience but in some respects working as a consultant in a third world country is like living in a third world country you know there there aren't a lot of demands for experts to live in Zurich, Switzerland, because Zurich Uh pretty much has all the experts they need, right? The places that require help are places that for someone that's in a comfortable country are not very inviting to go live in. So, but it's important to do. You are helping the poor when you do, when you share with them your knowledge and you help them build a better world. Interesting.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Where can we, where can we follow your work?
2: I've actually, so if you really wanted to understand my work, I've written two books. I wrote a long book that very few people could read and understand, but I tried to make it understandable. So I wrote a shorter book later that's a monograph. And if you search Kip Twitchell, there's not a lot of Kip Twitchells in the world on Amazon. You can find those books. In the last two years, I've been doing a vlog where I produce videos on financial systems. If you search "conversations with Kip," you will see my YouTube site. Um, I release them on LinkedIn and on YouTube simultaneously, one every week.
0: Excellent, um, Kip. We are so grateful that you took the time to speak with us today.
2: Glad I was able to help you. Well,
1: thank you.
0: Well that's all for now. Join us next time when we talk to Dr. Robert Carlyle about working with doctors in Japan. For more information about global business and culture, visit www.internationalhub.org and be sure to subscribe to Cultural Conversations with International Hub. Thanks for listening and join us next time.